excellent job in leading us in worship and focusing us on Christ this morning. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to Matthew 21 this morning. Matthew 21. Today is the day that we call Palm Sunday, the day that we remember and celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry. And so we come to a passage this morning that is one that you are probably very familiar with if you have been in church very long. It's one that if you were a kid in church, you remember this story and you remember coloring sheets of it, and it's something that you have heard over and over again in your life. And as we come to it this morning, I want us to come to it with just hearing the text and hearing what God's Word says to us, and to come at it afresh. Because sometimes when we come to a passage like this that we've heard so many times and we've gone over and over and over again, sometimes we come at it with our eyes already fixed on what we think is here, and we forget about what is actually going on in the text. And so I encourage you to hear God's Word anew this morning, that God's Word would work afresh in our lives, transforming us by the power of His Word and what we see here in this text. So hear the Word of the Lord this morning from Matthew 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that, that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus. From Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray together. Our great God, we come before you this morning to remember Christ, to worship Christ, to set our attention on Christ, that we might learn as we study this text and that our lives might be transformed through it. So, God, we pray this morning that you will work by your Spirit in each of our lives, God, that you will. Work in our hearts and root out the things that are not submitted to you, God. That our lives will be laid bare before you and that you will work and move in us to transform us to be more like Christ and that you will work by your spirit to make us different. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit will fall among us today to do your work as we read and study your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we come to this passage in Matthew 21, the point that Matthew is making for us is that the king has come. He is laying out before us the truth 
the reality that Christ is king and the king has come. And so what I want us to do this morning is to consider this text and how Matthew lays this out for us. And then what I want us to do is to lay our lives open before this truth. That when we come to this text and the reality that Matthew is pointing to, that Christ is king, that we will open our lives before that truth for Christ to shine the light of this text into our lives and for us to be fully submitted to Christ and everything that we are and everything that we do. So as we examine this text, what we will see is that Matthew has put this together around two different statements about who Jesus is. And both of those revolve around the idea that Christ is king. And so as we look at this this morning, we're going to see two aspects, two aspects of the reality that Christ is king. And what I pray is, is that you and I will submit ourselves fully to what it means that Christ is king in my life and your life and how we live in light of that in everything that we do day by day. So this morning we have two focuses, two emphases that we're going to see here about the nature of Christ as king. And so the first thing I want you to see is that Christ is the servant and saving king. Christ is the servant and saving king. And so just to back up and give you a little background on where we are, we are coming to the last week of Jesus' life. He's been ministering and teaching in the northern part of, uh, of Israel, and so primarily in the region of Galilee, which is further north than Jerusalem. And so he has been doing miracles and doing this work in this region. And so now as he's getting toward the time of coming to Jerusalem and Passover, he has been traveling a little further south. And as he's been going, there are people who begin following him, huge crowds that are gathering around him because he has been doing miracle after miracle, teaching with authority that's unlike the teaching that they've been hearing. And so there begin to be these throngs of crowds that are following him everywhere he goes. And so at the end of chapter 19, when we hear about Jesus going through Galilee, we hear that there are great crowds that are already following along with him. And now, as he has been walking and traveling along with these crowds, he is going further along south. He gets about to Jericho, and we see that there are more crowds that begin following him everywhere he goes because of all they've been hearing and all that he has been doing. And so we have crowds and crowds and crowds that are following along with Jesus as he's going along. You see, because Jesus was going to Jerusalem, because it was coming to the time of Passover. You see, the the time of Passover was a time that that Jews from all around the region would make a pilgrimage to come to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city that normally would have about 30,000 people uh, in in its population. But when Passover came, there were 180,000 people who would be in Jerusalem. So you have throngs of people who are kind of traveling in to be there in Jerusalem. And here Jesus is with these massive crowds that are following after him as he goes to Jerusalem. And so when he gets outside of Jerusalem, about about a mile away, when it talks about him coming to uh, Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, he has these massive crowds that are there. And he knows that he is coming to Passover, and more importantly, he knows that he is coming to his death. To the point that all of this had been moving toward for all of his life, where he would go offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And so as he gets there, 
with these crowds going, it's time for Jesus to make a statement. It's time for Jesus to make a statement showing who he is. And so when they get about a mile away from Jerusalem, this town called Bethphage, he tells two of his disciples to go into the town. And when they go, they will find this donkey and this colt, and they're supposed to go and bring those two to Jesus. And so most scholars think that what's happening here is that Jesus has prearranged for this to happen, for the disciples to be able to go in and get these two animals so that he can then ride them as he goes into Jerusalem. Now, this doesn't sound like all that big of an unusual thing, but once, once we see Jesus on this and him riding in, we see something different start to happen. We see something different start to happen with those people who are following after him. So all of a sudden, when Jesus gets on this donkey and starts riding it, we see people start taking their cloaks and laying it down on the ground. And then we see people start cutting off palm branches and laying them on the road all before him, kind of like the Jewish version of rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. You know, he's laying all this stuff out before him. And then we see people start shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the son of David. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is going on here? Why is it that it's only when Jesus now gets close to Jerusalem, he gets on this donkey, why is it then that they start doing all these things? Why are they laying those palm branches? Why are they shouting out after Jesus gets on this donkey? Well, here's the issue. Here's the thing. I said just a moment ago that Jesus was making a statement. He was declaring something by what he is doing here. And so the crowds recognize that Jesus is making a statement. The crowds recognize that this is what, what Jesus is doing here isn't normal. You see, the normal way for somebody to make a pilgrimage into Jerusalem would be to walk. That the crowds were walking along, they would all be walking. And actually, Jewish writers from this time, we have records that they say that the way that you're supposed to go to Jerusalem during this pilgrimage is that you're supposed to walk there. And so when Jesus actually starts riding, it's something that's out of the ordinary. It's different for somebody to do that. And so that stands out. And so then, when that Jesus riding on there, they recognize that this isn't normal. They've already seen this guy doing miracle after miracle, teaching, having authority that the rest of the religious leaders don't have. And so now when he does this, it pops. They know something is different because Matthew then points to the reality of what Jesus is doing here. And it's in verse 4. He is fulfilling prophecy. So hear this again. I want you to hear what Zechariah says. This is what uh, this is Matthew quoting Zechariah here. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is almost exactly word for word what Zechariah writes in Zechariah 9 9. Zechariah writes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. And when we see them shouting, right? That's what they do next. And so they're following along with what the text says here. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, the context of this passage in Zechariah is that God was going to send them a king who would bring peace to them and rescue them from their enemies. And so the crowd see Jesus on this donkey. They'd seen all that he's done before, and now they recognize that this is a king 
who is coming into Jerusalem. And so that's why they start shouting. And that's why the people in Jerusalem get all stirred up and bothered and worried what's going on because there is a king who is coming into the city and they don't know what to make about it. And so the people here are probably, even though they're shouting Hosanna, son of David, they're probably a little confused about who this king is because the common understanding of what they were going to expect from a king was a military king. They were expecting somebody who would come into Jerusalem on a, uh, on a horse that's a warrior horse and lead them to victory over the people of Rome, to lead them out of kind of the enslavement and all that they were experiencing under the hands of Rome. And so they were expecting a warrior king who would give them victory over their enemies. They weren't expecting a suffering king who would give them victory over their sins. And so the people here don't fully understand what it means that they have this humble, suffering servant king who comes in on a donkey. And so here's, here's the point of this passage. Here, here's the point of this section that we see right here. The Son of God came, took on flesh, came as king who was a humble servant to his people. Humble king who came in serving. And so that's the point of what Pastor Ricky read in Philippians chapter 2. So flip back over to that for just a second. This, this is a passage that really helps us better understand who Jesus is as king and what he did in coming as this suffering and servant king who came to save. So flip over to Philippians chapter 2 for just a second. I want to read to you again what it is that, uh, that Paul wrote here about who Jesus is. So Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 6 and following. Listen to this. Who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here's what Paul is pointing us to. That Christ, the Son of God, humbled himself more than anybody has ever humbled himself before. That he, he was in perfect fellowship, triune God, yet came and took on flesh so that then he could be a servant to those who turned from him, die for those who turned from him, and bear all the wrath of God for those who have turned against him. There is no greater humbling that has ever happened or will happen than Christ taking on flesh and dying for our sins. This is what Jesus is doing when he is coming in as the suffering servant, this humble, righteous king riding in on the donkey, showing us this reality of a servant king who comes in to save his people. And so what I want us to do is to bring this back to us right now. There's this, this one statement that we saw in, in Matthew 21 and this one thing we read about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, and I, I want to bring it back to us for just a second before we move on. And, and so what we see in this passage is that Christ is king. And so I said earlier that I want us to lay our lives before the king so that the truth of this passage shines in on every, every area, every corner, every recess of our lives. And so first thing we, we see here in thinking about Christ as this suffering servant king is, is that that the Son of God humbled himself by becoming a man and coming to die. And so the point here is, is that if you do not know Christ, 
if you are outside of Christ, if you have heard this gospel before but not turned to Christ, the, the point here of a suffering servant king coming in is that you would turn to the king who would save you from your sins. That's, that, that's the whole reason Christ came. And so if, if you're in that category, this is the point of the text for you today, to hear that Christ is king and for you to turn your life to him. That's the point. The second thing is what we see over and over again from this text and from so many others in the New Testament. Over and over again, the New Testament holds up Jesus as the example of how we are to love and serve one another. We see Jesus coming in gently, humbly, was righteous king, even though he is true king over everything, coming in this gentle, humble serving. And so over and over again, we look at the New Testament, we see statements about Jesus coming not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom, and to serve, and Philippians chapter 2 says to be a servant, a word that's often translated slave. This is why Jesus came. And so then when we look at Jesus' statements to us about how we're to live, he says that we are to love one another how? Love one another how? Just as he loved us, right? And so what we do when we look at the New Testament is we see over and over again how Scripture upholds Christ as an example of how he was the servant king, and so we ourselves are to serve one another. Not live for ourselves, not live for what we want and what we desire, but how we can love and serve one another. And so that's actually the point that Paul makes in Philippians chapter 2. Right before he goes through this famous statement about who Jesus is, coming to serve, how he's this risen Lord, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus. And then he lays out everything about who Jesus was. And so the first, you know, the first point of application that I would give here is that when we look and see here Jesus, this suffering servant king who comes in to Jerusalem, it's a reminder to us believers in here. It's a reminder to us that we, we're not to give our lives for service to ourselves or bettering our lives and how we can have a better life, but we are to give our lives in service to one another. The mark of a believer is that we love one another as Christ loved us. And so when we look at a suffering servant king, uh, there's an example laid for us that we serve one another. So I challenge and encourage you to consider how can you give your lives in service to one another, service to the people here that you show the world around you through your serving and loving one another that there is a true king who came to serve us. But that is just one statement that we get about who Christ is. When we look at this passage we see that Matthew is revolving everything that he's saying here about two statements. This fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah and then the statement of the crowds saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. So the first thing we see about Christ here as king is that he's the suffering servant king who came to die for his people. Now when we look at the next statement about Jesus, we're going to see that he is the Davidic and reigning king where we lay our lives before him. So let's take a look at the text again. Christ is king here. He's the Davidic reigning king. So pick up again in verse, uh, in verse 8 with me. And so what was happening after Jesus got on the donkey and started riding, it says, verse 8, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the son of 
David here. And so what I want us to do is I want us to think about what is being declared about Christ as this king who is being told Hosanna and son of David. So you've heard this term Hosanna before. It's a word that literally means uh, save us. And probably by this time in Jewish history, it kind of has the idea of just a term of praise. And so they're singing praise to Jesus. They're saying praise be to this Jesus. Praise be to the son of David. And so now it's interesting here what Matthew records here. It's interesting that he tells what the crowds are shouting. Because out of all the things that are going on, all that happened when Jesus is traveling there to Jerusalem over however long that took, this is what Matthew chose to record. And he's doing that for a reason. Because he wants us to understand who Jesus is as king. And so what I want you to do then is flip back with me for just a second to Matthew chapter 1. Flip back with me to Matthew chapter 1. Because what we see in this passage in the triumphal entry is that the crowds are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. And so we want want to think for just a second, what's Matthew doing by telling us that they are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. So flip back to Matthew 1.1. This is a passage that you probably don't spend a whole lot of time in, but it's critical for us to understand what Matthew is doing here. This is the start of the genealogy, which is how Matthew begins his gospel. And if you'll notice there, it starts this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now we have to ask the question, why is it that Matthew is pointing us to Jesus being the son of David? And why not go through and just point out to these other folks that he's the son of? Well, here's the reason. You remember that God gave a promise to David? You remember the promise that God gave to David? You remember what that was about David reigning on the throne and that he would always have a descendant on the throne? What Matthew is pointing us to here is that Jesus is this descendant of the son of David who is the rightful true king over Israel. And actually the rightful true king over everything because he is the creator God over everything. And so what we see when we look through the book of Matthew is over and over again, Matthew is giving us hints about the nature of who this Jesus is as the son of David. And so he's declared the son of David in Matthew 1.1, and now when we get to the triumphal entry, he is coming in, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, as a king mounted on this donkey. And then when we come to Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected, Jesus goes to the disciples, and the very first thing he says to them when he sees them in Matthew 28, 19, you remember what it is, or Matthew 28, 18, you remember what he says? All what has been given to him? Authority. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Why? Because he is the true king. And so the one that we are talking about riding in on this donkey, he is the true Davidic king. He is the reigning king over all things because he is God raised to life over everything. And so this is what we're seeing when we look at this passage, understanding about who Jesus is. Now, flip back with me again to Philippians chapter 2. I know we're doing a lot of flipping back and forth, and that's okay. It's like you're doing Bible drills again when you were a kid. You know, I should have everybody stand up and you do the sword drill. Our kids are really good here at the church at that because they practice it on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. So Philippians chapter 2, flip back over there. 
And I want you to see again what it says about who Jesus is. We just saw about him being kind of the suffering servant. He humbled himself, took on flesh. Now I want you to see what it says next about Jesus in this passage. Philippians chapter 2, let's pick up in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul declares the reality that we see in Matthew 21 here that Christ is king. He is Lord. He is reigning over all things. And so I, I, I want it to think about this in the context of a, of a statement that sometimes we say or sometimes maybe we've heard a statement uh, that really doesn't match up with, with what we see here in, in this passage. And it's a phrase that I've heard a lot of times, and some of us maybe have, have uttered it. And the phrase is that we need to make Jesus Lord over our lives. We, we need to make Jesus Lord of our lives. And I just, I just want to remind you, in light of what we see in this passage, what we've read in Philippians 2 and Matthew 21, we don't make Jesus Lord over anything. Jesus is Lord over everything. And so what we are to do as God's people is to submit our lives to the one who is Lord over everything. Because I promise you this, every one of us will be before him and our knees will bow and we will say, he is Lord. We will confess that. No matter what you think or what you believe right now, we will one day bow the knee and recognize how truly Lord he is. And so what we are to do now is to live in light of that reality that he is Lord. And so now, now with that being the truth about Christ being king, I don't want this to be something that is a, a theology that we hold out there. I want this to be something that is a truth that we bring in, and like I said earlier, that we lay our lives before this truth and let the truth of this reality, that Christ is king, shine into every recess of our lives, every corner, every aspect of, the, of our lives, that we see that truth shining in, and so that Christ exposes any way in us that we are not submitting to the reality that Christ is king. And so I, I want to I speak to two different groups of folks in here. Two different groups, groups of folks in here this morning. And the first, first group is those who, who perhaps have not submitted to Christ as king. And, and what I mean by that is, is those in here who, who have not turned to Christ in salvation. And m- maybe that some of you in here that you have intentionally not done that. Just because you, you don't believe that to be true. And maybe it's some of you in here that you have thought about this, and you've kind of thought through, and you've got some questions about what Christians talk about when it comes to Jesus rising from the dead and dying on the cross and these kinds of things. Or, or maybe, maybe this is more the, the case. Maybe there are some people in here who have dabbled with Christianity, and you've claimed the name of Christ, but you've never submitted to Christ as king. And so I, I speak to you this morning. The truth that we see in Matthew 21, is that Christ is king. He is king. And he is the one who came as that suffering servant, that humble servant who came riding in on the donkey. And he will, you will find him 
be greater than anything you've ever encountered in this world. And if you have not turned to Christ and salvation, I plead with you this morning to see the truth of the king who left his place in heaven and took on flesh and came and died so that you might have life. And I promise you what you will find is one that is better than anything this world has to offer. And no matter what it might cost you to follow Christ, it is worth it. He is better than this world. So that's the first group of folks I speak to. And the second group is probably a bigger group in here. That's those, those of us who have, we have followed Christ and we've turned our lives to him and said, I'm going to follow you. Those in here who are believers in Christ. And so what we see when we see the, that Christ is king, Christ is king over everything. Christ is king over everything in creation, and that means Christ is king over everything in our lives. And so what that means then is we have to lay our lives before him and submit not just a portion here and a portion there, a little bit here and a little bit there, but, but submit everything to his lordship. And so what I, what I would ask you to do, what I would ask you to do this morning is to, is to truly lay your life out before him and ask him to shine the light of the truth of his word and the truth of Christ being king into your life, into your life, to show you any ways that are in your life that you have not submitted to Christ as Lord, whatever aspect that might be. And so... Every different group that we have represented in here, every different age, every different demographic, every different aspect of life. Students, I would ask you to open your life before Christ and say, here am I, what will it look like for me to submit to you as king? What will it look like for me as I go about school, as I go about sports, as I go about my extracurricular activities? What will it look like for me to submit everything that I am to you as king? What, what am I not doing now that's, that's not submitted to you? So parents, I ask you to think the same thing. What does it look like for you to submit everything that you are to Christ as king? And to see your kids as not your own but Christ's. And to lay everything that you are before him and say, I, I'm going to submit to you as king as a parent. Those, those of you all who are married. Those of you all who are single. Every person, every stage of life that you're in for you to lay your life before the king and say show me how I submit everything that I am to you as king to not live for myself but to live for you and you only as king that's what it means that Christ is king We, we lay everything before him and so this Sunday morning as I as I stand in the pulpit as the last time as one of your pastors, I simply want to uphold Christ as king. And just to point you to him and to remind you that he is king. And he reigns over everything. And it is worth it for you to lay all of your life before him and submit to him in everything and turn from this world and turn to him and live only for him. This world will not satisfy you, but it will pull at you. 
So give yourselves entirely to him as king. Some of you that, that following Christ and kingship may mean that you leave where you are to follow him as king. And if Christ is leading you to that, it is worth it. Give yourselves entirely to the service of this king. It is worth it. And so church, I hold before you what scripture says. We have a great and glorious king who humbled himself and took on flesh and died for us. But we have the Davidic reigning king who reigns over everything. And we will give ourselves to him because it is worth it. So lay your lives before him, give your all to him, and you will find the king is worthy of everything. Let's pray.